So we are, let's just let's just get this out of the way. I'm not going to answer the question tonight because it's an unanswerable question. Okay, so just to be clear, there's no answer to this question that is like, you know, uh, makes you feel all warm and warm and fuzzy. Um, but that doesn't mean there aren't approaches that I actually find interesting. Um, we're a little early. It's almost other Aleph. Almost other Aleph. So it's you know, getting close to Parsha Zachar, but really I've been early for that anyways. But I figured I found, I, I found a couple of interesting articles. I said, you know, let's just go for it. Now, um, so what we're going to do is like this. It's a very long handout. We'll see how much we can cover. But the bottom line is what I'd like to do is as follows. We're going to take a look at take a look at what the why God has clearly a very bad place in his heart for the people of Amalek. Why is that? What did they do? What's so bad about them? Uh, then we have to understand a little bit what the mitzvah of Mechias Amalek is all about. And if we understand both of those things, we can get to a few approaches to how does a moral, kind, sensitive God um, Tell, tell his people to kill babies and innocent people um, as a mitzvah. How could that possibly be? And what do we as moral people and believing Jews do with that conundrum? And they're conundrum. animals too, right? And they're animals too, yes. Depending on who you are, you may be more bothered by the animals than you are by the human beings. But, um, you know, most of us think it's the human beings. But yes, you're right, the animals too. Okay, so let's just take a look. There are four places in Tanakh, four main places where the story of Amalek is, is recorded. Number one is not where the story of Amalek is recorded. Number one is where Amalek himself is born. Now, who is Amalek? So take a look at source number one. In Sefer Bereshit, we're told Eilat told us, Esav hu Adom. Esav akachas nashav nos kanan. So Esav is Edom, he gets married. Adab, Aselon, Achiti, Vesaliyah, Vavad, said all these different people. Pasuk Dalad, Ada has Esav. Right, she, she, she gives birth, um, she's married to Esau and gives birth to Eliphaz and Basmas and other people. And then in Pasuk Yubes it says, V'timna ha'esav pilagish la'elifaz ben Esau. So she's the pilagish of Esau, v'telu la'elifaz es Amalek. So Eliphaz, the son of, who the Medrash says is the one who runs after Yaakov to kill him. He doesn't, he steals his money. But uh, Eliphaz, the son of, so there's Esau, Eliphaz, Amalek. So Amalek is Esau's grandson. Okay, so tell you something about his yichas, right, where he comes from. Uh, but as with many of the people who were born at the beginning of time, those people end up becoming not just people, they become full nations, right, because they are, their families expand, and Amalek becomes its own nation. Fine. What happens? What's our first encounter with Amalek? Just a couple weeks ago, we read it, right? That Klai uh, Yisrael received the Torah. Well, it, sorry, Klai Yisrael go out of Mitzrayim, they have Kriyas Yamsuf. They get, uh, they complain about water, etc. And then what happens? And Moshe says, "Great, Yoshua, let's go get guys together, go fight the war, etc." Find what happens at the end. Hashem tells Moshe the following: Write this down in a book. Write down in a sefer and tell Yeshua in his ears that you must destroy the memory of a Amalek from under the sky. Okay. Uh, can anyone think of another time when God tells Moshe, Write this down in a book. 
So, so we have, yeah, we, we did actually just learned in, in the Daf Shavua that comparison, Zikaron, Zikaron, very good, paying attention, uh, by Daf Shavua, yes, by the Megillah. Good. That's, that's, the, that's the only other time when we talk, talk about writing something down um, about a story. And that story is also about Amalek, just by the way, right? Because Haman, Haman's also Agagi, presumably a monk. Great. I'm 100% sure that uh, God wants us to kill all babies. No, 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 no. We're not, let's just go slow. Okay? The point is, let's get right in there. Uh, let's just, just, by the way, it's totally no. legal in New York now. I haven't read that. <laughs> it is, but I haven't read that yet. So good. Very good. Excellent. You're making a very, very important point, which we're going to get to later. If you look, if you look slow, 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 slow. Basically, there's new abortion so, law that you can, like, yeah, 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 uh, sort of, yeah. Um, but the bottom line, the, the bottom, yeah, the bottom line is, uh, this is the only place where God tells Moshe, write this down in a book, right? Don't forget to tell them this again, like Shema, okay. But like, this is a very clearly a very important issue in God's mind. Like so, Zotzikarom b'sefer. Write it down. Like he's gonna write the whole thing down, guys. It's the Torah. It's the whole thing. It's the Torah. He he writes the whole thing down. No, but this one you gotta write down. Like what? What? what, Like what? Right? What's going on? This might be a little bit off topic, but has it? At at what point does Yahushua become like the heir apparent? Because here it says until Yahushua. That's true. That's interesting. That's interesting. Why it says something here? Cool. Where did you pick up on? That's a great idea. That's a great point. It is off topic, but it's a great point. Um. For a different time. Okay, good. Next, we have in Parashat Kedetzei, we're told, <laughs> Now, not just, but tell, and tell Yeshua we got to get rid of these guys, but later, a specific mitzvah to remember that which Amalek did to us. There's only a certain, only a certain number of Zechiros in the Torah. There are about six of them. But, the bottom line is, what happens at the end? Very, again, very, very strong language. Do not forget that it is your job to destroy the memory of a Malik. As, as, as Shlomo points out, at this point, the Torah never says, never says, kill every member of the Amaleki family or every man, woman, and child. It doesn't say that. It just says get rid of their memory, whatever that means. Um, I wouldn't be like totally surprised if someone would say that getting rid of the memory of a Malik totally means to annihilate the annihilate the the the, the nation, but but uh, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. But it's a good point. Okay. Source number four is the time when it was supposed to happen. Shaul is anointed king, and that's kind of the progression here. Is that we go into Eretz Yisrael, which is what the Raman points us out. Go to Eretz Yisrael, you appoint the king, and builds a, and and. Uh, and they just they uh, they um, get rid of them, get rid of Amalek. That's part of the deal. Let's see how it goes. Right. Once you have a nation living in Israel, then we have a king. The king's first job: go get rid of Amalek. Okay, so that's what happens here. First king. What does he do? He goes to destroy Amalek. And what happens? He doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. And pasuk tes vayachmol Shaul ve'am alagag. He kills everybody, every man, woman, and child of Amalek except for Agag. Vam, and what does he do? He has Vayachmol. What's Chamol? Chamol. Has An Agag. Vam, and that's going to be important when we get further along. You think that's a good thing, right? This one's like, it feels, feels bad already. Okay? Vam, Vatzon, Vavakar, what are you killing the animals for? They didn't do anything. Right? 
Valakarim, Valakolatov, Loavu, Hakarim, and then destroy them, Valakolam Lacha, Nimviza, Vinamas, Osah, Harimu. Fine, they took booty. And what does Hashem say to Shmuel? Nihamti, Kim Lachti, a Shaul, a Melech, Kishav, Miacharai, Vesarai, Shaul made one mistake. One mistake. He left one Amalekite person alive. One. And God says, You're out. Right. First of all, at this point, it already makes sense to us. This is a very important issue to God. Right. God cares very, very deeply about this. But, so it shouldn't be surprising to us that when Shaul then doesn't follow through, that makes God pretty upset. So he doesn't spare and God the children. children. He spares the king. The king. So he kills, he has no problem killing babies. Children. Kills babies. babies. Kills babies, that's right. not a problem, doesn't bother anybody. The right. king doesn't care. It's interesting. Why, why does he not do that? But? Bothers me. It bothers you. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. He burned babies. Good. Um, just to be clear, just to be clear. You would have killed the king, save the babies. Conceivably. Right. You did something wrong. You didn't do anything wrong. They're babies. They're babies. Right? So, just to make it clear, just so that we know that this is clear, this is in the Torah, this is in, this is in Tanakh, and this is in the language of God being tell, told through Shemuel, unless you want to say that Shemuel Navi made it up. I assume not. He says, Look in source number four. I remember what, what Amalek did to us when we were leaving Mitzrayim. Go hit, destroy, fight Amalek. Don't have any rechmanas on them. The commandment from Shmuel, from God, that Shmuel gives to show is to kill every single man, woman, and child. That is the commandment given to Shaul to do. He does it all except for Agag. That makes God very angry. Okay, that's how, what we have for Tanakh, basically, in terms of uh, the story of a Malik, God's obsession, in a certain sense, with wanting to get rid of these people. And the question is, first question is why? Why do they hate them so much? What is it that makes God so angry about these people? What would you say? What makes it so mad? It was like, get rid- there are other bad nations. By the way, Mitzrayim did some pretty bad stuff to us. Right? The Mitzrayim killed our children. Right? They, they, they did terrible, terrible things. We don't say this about the Mitzrayim. In fact, the opposite. We're supposed to treat the Mitzrayim okay because Gerar used to bear itself. Right? Amalek is like so much worse. So take a look at a couple of, a couple of sources here. Source, uh, answer number one. What's so bad about them is the Ramban writes. The Ramban says, look at the second line, the Ramban at the end of the line. It says, Vitama Onesh Shene'enash Amalek Yosem Mikola Amim. The reason for the punishment that Amalek was punished more than any other nation, Bavur Kikola Amim Shavu Vir Gazun. When, 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 when uh, Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim happened, when Kriyas Yamsev happened, what happened? Everybody heard about it, including Yisrael, right? That was last week's parsha. By Yishma Yisrael, because everybody heard. Everybody knew what was going on. Everyone paid attention. Everyone heard what Hashem had done to, to, to Mitzrayim. And they all got nervous, and they all felt this sense of awe. All the nations, Canaan, Moab, etc., Edom, they're all quiet and stood back. They were scared. Amalek, who isn't even nearby, not even nearby, they come flying in. Midian is much closer than, than where Amalek is. They come in. 
uh, and they fight almost like a direct rebellion against the Kaddish Baruch Why does it say Like, and they came meaning they had no, they didn't care. They they could care less. But what God did, 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 had done to Mitzrayim. Okay, that's number one. Vaod ki hunin esav vikarov lanu over misabir ariv lolo. So he says well, he's actually related to us, and he comes and he fights a war, gets involved in a fight that's not his fight. Why is it not his? Why is it not their fight? Why is it not? Why is it not their fight to fight to come attack? To come attack, uh, Bnei Israel at this point. So Bnei Israel hasn't done anything to them. They defeated Egypt. The They're slave masters. What did the pleasing do to us? Okay, fine. But let's let's just let's read. Let's just go straight in a row, right? I'm asking why what a Malik did to us that makes us angry. Then, well, they, so they, they, were, they were going to be targeted when we got into their They're not one of the Shivamim. They're not. They're not did one of the Shivamim. I mean, how do they know? No. They know that you explain to Israel. You're right. So you're saying it was a preemptive a strike? Preemptive oh, strike. You can't really blame them if they're okay. actually going to hit, hit you when you're... But no one, else, no one else came after us. Did they destroy these... Okay. They were, did they Amalek, destroy, I, I don't did believe they Amalek... I don't know if Amalek is living in Eretz Canaan. I don't know if Amalek is living in Eretz Canaan. At this point. I'm not sure if they're living in Eretz Canaan. Didn't this destroy the sense of invincibility? Yes, know? yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's for sure. Yes, absolutely. But the... But the point is, Amalek isn't being attacked by us at all. Amalek, I don't even believe, is living in Eretz Canaan. They're not going to be attacked by us. And they come to fight the shame fighting. They come to fight because they want to fight us. For no other reason. Okay? It's not their fight. No one's attacking them. No one's bothering them. Fine. Take a look at the Barber Nels, verse number 6. He says, Ha'echa, the reason why God was saying with them, they fought for no reason. When someone goes to war, right, there are different reasons why someone can go to war. Some are considered valid, some are considered less valid. There were the reasons that were more valid in medieval times and in ancient times. You wanted somebody's land, you whatever. There are reasons why you would go to war that were at least considered valid in those days. Um, certain rules of, 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 of conduct in battle. But here, they had no reason at all. Because right, there are people who go in, Sometimes you're defending yourself of people coming to attack your land. So you have to fight a defensive war. Sometimes you want to go conquer someone else's land. Today it doesn't work anymore, you can't do that either today. But in the old days, that was what you did. You wanted someone's land, you went and you, you fought them and you took it over. What are they fighting for? What are they fighting us for? We're not, take, we're not taking their land. We're not, we didn't hurt them. We didn't attack them. They have nothing to worry about. Why did they come to fight? We weren't passing through their land. In fact, we went around. We didn't go through their land. Why did they... Uh, Right, they didn't come to fight them. Oh, because you're coming to fight us. They didn't, who, did did Amisha have a land yet? In the Midbar. How many land did they want to conquer and take over? Same idea. They wanted to fight them just Lashem fight. They wanted to fight them because they like to, to go after people. I like splitting. to beat people up. What? I feel like that's a little bit hair splitting. Why? Because so if I I'm living you know I'm cozy in Eureka and I've been living there for a thousand years. My family's been living there. 
all of a sudden these new guys on the block decided they want to come. Their god decided that they, were, okay. they deserve I, this. So one. let's make it so clear. Boom, they're going to kill. So all. let's make it clear. That's a little different than you know we we're going to go up and, and expedite this process and have fight, have fight with these people on neutral territory. They're, they we're not coming to take over Malik's territory. There was no there was yeah. no time there was no plan to go take on Malik's territory. There wasn't. Living, any. Yeah, but there if wasn't I'm, any. If I'm living in your yeah, I don't really care that they have some justification in their brain for why they're coming to fight and take over my house. Correct. It's not a, it's not a better it, reason. It is better. Fighting. It is better. If someone comes to fight you because of some issue they have with you, because of someone fights with you because there's something that went on between you and them. Let's talk about two human beings. We're fighting because of something that happened. There's a misunderstanding. There was something that I messed him over. He thinks I messed him over. At least there's like some savara to explain while, why you're attacking me. If I'm walking down the block and someone just jumps me and beats me up for no reason, what that's that much more bizarre and insane. Their God told them to. I'm, okay, but I'm just saying that yeah, the, point is, the point is they're fighting for no reason. There's nothing for them to gain by defeating Am Yisrael. None. What do they gain? They may think that they're coming. Maybe their God told them to. Or is this so a reje- maybe, or is but this they don't a re- say that. Or is this a rejection of Kaddish Barakov saying, listen. That's for listen. sure. And so we, that's for we sure. flip off God and go, we don't care. And That's for sure, too. From a spiritual perspective, it's absolutely they, they true. They flip off our God. Yes. Their God right. They're te- they well, certainly have no interest in our God. God. It's the same God. That's certainly so true. Want, it's still the same thing. Um, the reverse says some ideas, which I'm saying we're really inside for right now, but he says the same basic no idea. Rational. That their entire, in, their entire interest was fighting the shame, fighting to be powerful. Fighting and killing for the sake of fighting and killing. That's what Hirsch says. Amalek came to fight and, fight and kill because they wanted to fight and kill. Not because they had anything to gain from it. There was anything, what are they, they going to take? Our money, I guess. Maybe they could take our money afterwards. But they have very little, little to gain from fighting. They're much better people to go after. Um, especially by the fact that Amishal at this point is seen as pretty strong. They have a god who just destroyed the greatest power in, all, in, all, in the entire world. And they still go to, go to fight us. The shame picking fights. But again, this is not the t- it's not the typical type of warfare to go after an, a nation, at least that lives in a land, that has assets, that has whatever it is, that's typically more what you do. But we left with all the wealth of Egypt. We were losing. Okay, okay. So maybe they wanted our money. You could say it's possible. Um, the Pacha Yitzchak of Putner says a little bit different. Um, he takes a little bit more of a uh, spiritual perspective. Where he talks about the idea of Ashakarcha Baderach. We look just for a second. He writes, um, Ashakarcha, this is the very first piece in, in uh, Pacha Yitzchakam Purim. So he says, Ashakarcha Lashon Kor, we mentioned this actually in Shulis, we call it a bit. Kor Vachom Sinanecha, they cooled us down, right? Shahayakola Umos Yerem, Lachem Bachem Uba Zevi Hitzchel, Vihira Makam Lachem. Right? What happened? You know, everyone was afraid to fight Ami. So they go in and they fight and they lose, but at least people say, oh, you can fight these guys, right? Mashal lambati rosacha. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a steaming bath. No one wants to go in. One guy jumps in, he gets burnt. But everyone says, "Ooh, okay." But now it's cool down a little bit. I can jump into. Klomar in sof in yano shalamalik baze shabav nircham biyisrael el shesof in yano who baze shemachamto shalamalik garma zilzul bechashibuso sheisrael. What's their goal? The goal is just to, is just to show people that they're nothing. It's just to, to, to see they're not so special. They're not so great. Their God's not so amazing. They, they, have nothing to, they have nothing to gain. So Their gain an, is only to be mazals on other people. That's an agenda, though. Right? So then that is an agenda. So they are fighting. But it's not a... But it's not something they gain. To, and I'm trying to diminish the power and stature of a competitor. Okay. There's value in that. So there's only one difference, though. They're not a competitor. 
At that point, Am Yisrael is not a competitor. They don't have anything. They don't even have a land. Debatable. We're going, talking about it on both sides, it's right? It's their cousin. Super it's the, it's their, they're on the rise. They're, they're super powerful now. Okay. They don't necessarily but you have nothing to gain have, just to attack them out of have. anger. Just to, just to attack for no reason. To, to, to risk your life to go to battle because you like, you're angry that they... For prestige, for honor. For prestige? For okay. Okay. We're the top dog in the neighborhood. And we're the top grandson okay. of Yaakov Avinu and, or great-grandson, you know. Whatever it is. So that's a, that's a... Why not? I mean, there's sibling rivalry all the time and that's clash of civilizations. Okay. You know, I, I don't... But the but the point is that it's not what, like it's just what? for fighting and just for sport. Is that is that? I mean, that's Rupertner is not saying that. No, Rupertner is going to say more than that. Rupertner says that Ami Yisrael is all about Hilul. It's about bringing sanctity to the world, and Amalek is all about Hilul. It's all about making. There's nothing. There's nothing special. You think you're special? You're not special. There's nothing special about you. That's what he says. He says R- like this. Rupertner provides a reason. To so, so hold on. He writes. The bath was burning hot. Now there was something special in the world. And now there was something of, of, of value and meaning in the world. They can't handle someone else being special. Right? What it means to be a Jew, means to be a Jew, is to have things that, that are given value and meaning. Right? To, to, to devalue everything. Right? Amalek can't handle something that has value and is special and is unique and is, and is prestigious. Right? They can't handle that. So they have to go out and, and attack it immediately. Right? That's, the, that's what they're coming to destroy and knock down anything that has value. Right? Which, again, if you're God... That's very upsetting to you. Right? You have a nation whose whole job is to bring value and meaning into, into life and into the world. And these people are the guys who say, no, 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 forget it. We're not interested in that. We're going to take that out of the world as fast as we possibly can. Right? It's, like, it's like when you're having... Uh, I heard uh, Rabbi Glasser, or Yaakov Glasser was giving a shear on this. A lot of, a lot of stories I got came from Rabbi Glasser. And stuff. He gave a great, a great muscle. He said, you're like... Uh, if you're, you know, you're running a program, let's say, you're, uh, you're, you're sitting with a group of kids... And you're trying to like get them in the mood, give, give them like a, a you know, a, an inspirational moment. You know, you're sitting there quietly, and some kid in the back, like, you know, you know, uh, whatever, like makes you know, make, cracks a joke, right? And like all the all the all the air comes out of the room, right? Everyone's like, okay, it's over. Forget you lost them, right? It's like the, here we are to like try to bring something special to the world, and I'm always like, no, 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 no. There's nothing special in the world. This is a place just for. Have cares. Right? Everything's just. We just want to have fun. We just want to do our thing. Leave us alone. Right? And by the way, if you want that in your own life, that's fine. But they can't handle it in the world. It can't be a world that has that, that special chashivas, that values. That's something they don't want to see. Look at uh, source number nine of Amital. Amital writes We see here that what characterizes Amalek throughout generations is the concept of Mikra, attributing everything to randomness and coincidence, while Amital is permanently Baderich. 
right? They go after you when you're baderach. A concept denoting continuity. A malik maintain an ideology of non-ideology. Everything is permissible. There's no journey. There's no direction. Everything is coincidental. There's no absolute value that must be held here. Am Yisrael, in contrast, is always on the way. They have a direction and an objective. They have clear values to which they cleave. By the way, it's interesting. This is the first time I've seen the phrase al haderach, like on the derech. We always like yes. on the derech, oh. al haderach. So I never, th- I never like thought about it in, in, a, in a positive way. Like on the derech means that we have we have goals, we have aspirations. We know what we want from the world. We know what we we're trying to accomplish here, and they're and they're trying to destroy everything that we're trying to accomplish. Right? If, if we don't have goals, and we don't we don't know what we're trying to do. Then forget about it. And what they're out to do is stop us even before we start. So. Again, it, this doesn't tell you why it then makes sense to, to kill all their children. And don't get me wrong, this doesn't. But it explains to us a little bit of what was so sinister about them, and what, and, and maybe even it's less sinister that they even necessarily knew or didn't know, you know, what they were doing. Uh, but the fact is that their existence and what they tried to do with it was it was antithetical to what the goals of Claudius was all about. Yeah. So it's understand why the Jews need miracles in Mitzrayim, educational, all that type of thing. But in this case, why doesn't Hashem just stop the attack or prevent it from happening in the first place? And what's the value of letting this happen? So, presume, presume A, I don't know. <laughs> uh, B, uh, if you want to try to get, you understand, I, I guess, there's certainly, a, there must be a value okay. to having us have to fight Amalek forever. Right? The idea of the fact that three or years later we're still remembering that battle. That's the only time it ever happened. It was once. Right? And the fact that we still remember it and have to fight the ideology um, certainly is something that God wanted. He could have said, if you would have, again, if you wanted to be Timcha, then just get rid of it. We don't, shouldn't remember it anymore. Just get rid of it. So no who remembers Amalek? Only us. Right? That's, the, that's the irony. We're the only ones who remember Amalek. No one else knows what Amalek is. Right? We're the ones who keep their memory up so we can forget it. But the point is, it's an ideology that well, we're going to see in Rav Soloveitchik, an ideology that keeps coming back. And if you forget totally that, that the ideology exists, you can't fight against it. So that could be part of it also, that God wants, maybe wants this to happen in a certain sense, or lets it happen so we can fight it. But that all being fine and good, what's the mitzvah to destroy of Malik? Okay? So let's take a look. There's actually a machlok as the Sefer Achinuch and the Rambam. Okay? Take a look at the Sefer Achinuch. Sefer Achinuch tells you what you think the destruction of Amalek is supposed to be. So what is it? Source number 10. To destroy the seed of Amalek and to get rid of its memory from the world. Man and woman, uh, adult and child. And he left some of the women alive. Because his master didn't pay attention to him. Instead of Zechar Amalek. He's meaning, if it's just Zachar, it's just destroy the men of Amalek. Right? Um, fine. So what's the idea? Um, and he says later on that it's something that has to be done by everybody. And he says, if you look towards the bottom, it's on. It's so sorry. Beginning that he says, it's requirement on the on the nation, right? On the on the community to do this. But then also, it is a requirement on each and every individual. 
כי אם יש כוח בידם בכל מקום ובכל זמן, אם אולי יימצא אחד מכל זרע. It applies to every person, you can know that you found one of their, one of their, one of their children. Uh, Rabbi Lamb, when he give, has a very long essay on this topic, he begins the essay, essay by talking about an individual, a, a, a Muslim, who was told by his imam in, uh, you know, in somewhere in, in, in the United States that um, it's a requirement, that jihad is required of every single Muslim, and it's absolutely a requirement to, uh, you know, to kill Jews. And he says, imagine, imagine a modern Orthodox yeshiva student learning in yeshiva, and his rabbi says to him, and he comes to his rabbi, and he says, look, I, I, got, I use special DNA testing, and I know a thousand percent certainty that this guy is from a malik. What's the psak? What do I do? So, sounds like from the Sefer Achinov, the answer is, you have to murder him. Right? Which, how does that work with us? Right? It's very, very. It's 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 very. <laughs> it's very yeah. It's very, very difficult to understand. Uh, just just to tell you, just to take a look at the the, the minchas Aaron. Why did I bring this here? Um, Yeah, I think he says, if I'm not wrong. Oh yeah, so he says, the Mechaz Aaron says it's specifically in war. He says he thinks that this idea, that the, the chinuch, of, the, how can it be that every single individual has a mitzvah say to destroy them? He says clearly it's a, it's, a, it's a requirement on the nation, right? As you said before, it's a requirement. First you have to set up a kingdom and come to Eretz then you set up a kingdom, and then you go get Amalek. So like, to say that every individual has a requirement sounds very strange. How could that be? So he says that no, he thinks there's more requirement on a nation. Not every single individual has even that requirement. The smag is something further, source number 11. He says that this is a mitzvah it, because it goes in order. That the first has to be kibosh aretz, and then you have a king, and then you get a malik. What does that mean? It's a requirement only in Eretz Yisrael. And he says, V'zeh noman mikra zeh, etc. Come over with Gemara, it's underlying it, L'kach keshegalu paka mitzvah. When you go to Galas, the mitzvah is gone. And that's why it, many write that the mitzvah of Mechia Samalik now doesn't apply anymore until Yomos Mashiach. That doesn't make you feel better because yeah, that, there's still the mitzvah on the books. That's not an answer to the, that's not an answer to the, to the moral issue. But it's just that in terms of breaking down what the actual mitzvah is, it's text? very important. What? How is that written to the text? Yeah, there's this order, and then it's not. Um, that's the question. It's Gemara Sanhedrin on Daf Kaf. That says there are three mitzvahs that are in Stavli Yisrael when they came to Eretz Yisrael to make a melech, build a base of Migdash, and destroy, and destroy a Malik. How did the Gemara get that from the Pesukim? I'm not, I'm not positive. I don't know. I'd have to take a look. I'm not totally sure. Um, what's interesting, take a look at source number 12. This is a crazy quote that I saw. But Shmuel was totally opposed to the Malchus. He resisted. Yes, we're not happy to have a king. So why, yes. why is that different? So, in other words, if that comes up for debate, then why isn't the whole. And by the way, they couldn't go and get a Malik until they were in Eretz for 400 years. And it's not even came. the first thing they did. Right? They attacked Ma'amon uh, first. It wasn't even they like... They attacked Ma'amon first, correct. Right. That it wasn't first. even like agenda number one. Correct, it was, it was like, not. And had a king. existed it the whole time. So why is this different? Like, right. why, why is it, like, why can't reasonable minds disagree? Like, I sh- he's like, listen, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have a lot of Taurus with this. Well, it's difference between, it's difference between delaying it. Well, first of all, because the, the mitzvah of a king... Is so is if they is stated that way, 
if you ask for a king, if they ask for a king, so the then you get... But Mitzvah Malik is not dependent on the people it's asking for a king. dependent on the king. Apparently, the king is dependent spot. on the ass. Okay, so first of all, the, the, the Sefer Chinuch seems to say it's not necessarily dependent on the king. But you're right. It, it, take a look. Let, let's keep going. You're right. It's a very, it's a fair point because you're going to find that it, if, it's a, if it's a requirement on the nation then it doesn't seem to be applied right away. And that's why there are those who argue with the Chinuch. That there isn't this, this mushal that Rabbi Lam gives at the beginning of the kid who finds out that the guys in Amalekia have to kill him. It's not so simple. That's even the requirement. I'm just saying it's important to know the, the, the specifics of, the, of even the Chiv. Because you're right, it could be it's a Chiv only on the nation, only when you have a king. In which case, that's exactly, by the way, what the Smag is saying. The Smag is saying it's only a requirement on the nation once you have a king. Um, and once you're living in Eretz Yisrael. Um, Rav Gusman clearly didn't think that way. Look at question number 12. Rav Gusman was um, the youngest person ever to sit as a Dayan in, in the Vilna Bay. He was 19 years old. Um, he was a survivor of the Holocaust. Um, came, to, came to America and then came to Eretz Yisrael. For, uh, uh, started a yeshiva called Netzach Yisrael, which still exists in Yerushalayim. He was the author of a safe called Kunsh Yeshua, a tremendous, tremendous Gaon Tam Chacham. Um, but when he was in, uh, the, in the war, he, he, was, uh, he escaped. Take a look at Shosh number 12. This is from the, the, the art scroll book about his life. When Gusman reached the forest, his plan was to become a partisan to fight against the Nazis and defend himself and his family. His son was, his child was killed in the war. There's a story of Gusman, uh, you know, uh, being Menachem Ovel by Rabbi Alman, Rabbi Alman, uh, Dr. Alman, who had uh, lost his son in battle. There's a famous story of Gusman going to Menachem Ovel and he tells him there that he lost his own son, but his son was killed in... Uh, you know, his son was killed because he was a Jew. He says, but your son was killed defending the state of Israel. And he says, it's a, be- it's a beautiful story. But anyways, however, to be accepted as a partisan, there was a single condition. You had to bring a weapon. So where is Rav Gusman going to get a weapon from? Rav Gusman's opportunity came when he saw a lone Nazi soldier passing through a quiet place in the forest. Rav Gusman jumped the soldier through his rifle as far away as he could and killed the soldier with his bare hands. In Yerushalayim, Rav Gusman would look down at his hands and say, I was mekind the mitzvah being mocha zecha amalek with my bare hands. So someone told me that they, that they know a student of Rav who told them his stories of a thousand century. So, again, does Rav mean it literally? Does he mean it literally? Is it self-defense? Is that Nazi? You know, but, or does he mean, like we see from Rav that maybe the Nazis are unwillingly reincarnate? But, which has really theological problems also, by the way. But the, the idea of going out and killing somebody because they're unwillingly is, is, is a real thing. Um, uh, another reason why this well let's uh, let's keep it going okay so uh, so good so the problem so the problem is a problem okay the problem is a problem if we have moral sensibilities I get how bad they are I get that God really doesn't like them I get that we even have mitzvos to destroy them um, but how could that be how could God tell us to do something which does not just it just doesn't seem to fit doesn't seem to fit so there's sort of two ways to go with this where are the two ways to go, philosophically? One, you can't know the will of God. Okay, meaning? So you have to just trust. It's like a chok. Okay. So, oh, so one is that it's a chok, and therefore we don't, we don't get it. Okay. Or? God never said that. I would not say God never said that. You can't say God never said that. God said, God told, tell Shalom Melech to kill all the men and, and men, women, and children. You can't say God didn't say it. That's, okay. not, a, that's not an orthodox could've, answer. Could have been a one-time thing. It doesn't seem like a one-time thing. It doesn't seem like a one-time thing. And no one reads it that way. So that, that, that's not... An, to say that God did not command it, I, I don't think it's an, is an answer to the question, theologically, for us. 
because God does command it. A, he commands to destroy them, and B, he ex- explains what that means by telling Shaul to do it. So I think I, I don't think that's an answer you can give. So so t- take a look. Take a look at uh, at Rabbi Lamb in kind of laying this out makes the following point. There are basic the, there are basically two elements. So source number fourteen, I think, or thirteen. Yeah. 14. Yeah. 14. There are basically two elements of moral concern. One is the Amalek commandment, whereby the descendants of Amalek are forever condemned to death, apparently without regard to their own conduct. The Torah's explanation implies a genetic defect in the Amalekites. The other is the Seven Nations commandment, whereby the seven indigenous Canaanite tribes are to be wiped out. You shall not let a soul remain alive. And the reason is their abominable culture and religion, which threaten to corrupt the incoming Israelites. Neither of these stands up well under moral scrutiny. Here is a blatant case of law versus morality. How should a Jew loyal to halacha respond? A first response is to deny any separate and independent value of morality. Right? That's the first way to go. We, what, what are we bothered by? Morality? Who's morality? Halacha. So we're bothered by, we think, right? you could argue we're bothered by our own uh, personal morality, what we think is moral. Okay? Don't, don't attack me yet. There would be many people who attack this approach. Who attack this approach. Okay? What the law says is what is good. Hence, by definition, the Torah's commandments concerning Amalek and the seven nations are good and not open to moral objection. This essentially, this essentially platonic idea, as developed in his Republic and the Laws, is translated into Jewish terms by one of the most outstanding rabbinic authorities of the 20th century, with Am Mishai Karolitz, known by the title of his major work, the Chazonish. For the Chazonish, it's inconceivable that humans can devise a moral code that in any way is more noble or demanding than the laws of the Torah. Nothing that came after the Sinaitic revelation can lay claim to improving on the Torah's legislation. Morality is whatever the halacha says. Law trumps conscience. Conscience, morality, ethics can never be the source or have the power of mitzvah. The sole function of ethics and conscience is to inspire one to observe the halacha of the word of the Almighty. Right? That's the very straight arrow halachic mind says. So basically debunking even the question. Like, there's no question. What's the question? question? What's the question? God's Azeh stated in Yubamah Shalom. That's what Hashem says. Hashem says we do. There are psukim in the Torah that advocate for ethics. We got Good, 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 good. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So this approach is the approach of the Chazanish and some others. No direct instruction from God. Why not? No, it can't, it obviously can't trump it, but it seems to be a stira. It seems to be a contradiction. I would say, to argue that, the seven nations commandment was, there were still seven nations walking around. First of all, they were offered the opportunity to Jura first. They said they were not automatically summarily okay. killed. Okay. They still had children that the subsequent nations after Yoshua would have to deal with. Okay. So we know that they weren't all just you know summarily killed. Okay. Okay. So so once you know that there are exceptions or loopholes, then it's up. Then it's discuss, Then it's okay. Okay. So we're gonna see a Rambam, which is you're gonna like more a little bit, I think. But this argument is yes. And by the way, the Meshachachma has a whole piece where he basically argues that this is so difficult. Um, or he, he, I mean, the Meshach Hacham makes a different point where he's talking about um, um, why there's no Chag for Kriyas Yamsuf, right? So we know Maimari Chazal, right? The Malachim can't sing because they're dying, that's why we want to say half halal, right? We, we, don't, we don't celebrate the downfall of our enemies. We're not a violent people. The Meshach Hacham wants to go even further and say that's why in Hanukkah we really, even though the real miracle was the war, we celebrate the miracle of the oil because we're not a violent people. 
It's the same thing by Purim. He says, yes. we go ahead and we, and we, yeah, we kill people, but we don't celebrate the killing. We celebrate the day we stop killing. Because right? we, yes, we have to fight defensive wars at times. We have to fight. But we, that's not who we are as a people. We don't celebrate violence. That's not the type of people that we are. We are, we are fundamentally peaceful people. We don't want anyone to bother us, right? The classic, right? The classic argument, right? If, if Israel would put down its weapons, Israel would be, there'd be no Israel. But if the Palestinians put down their weapons, there'd be, there'd be peace. Because that's who we are as a people. We don't, we're not violent people. So if that's true, though, that's sort of what you're saying. If we're really fundamentally not violent, we're fundamentally sensitive and caring, and we, and we show respect, etc., and there's so many mitzvahs like that, right? So then how can we have a mitzvah which is so violent and debased? And that's the problem. <coughs> so Chazanish says, you're right, that's, co- that's complicated, but you, you're, you're using your own, you know, your own mind, which is not, not God's mind. God makes the halacha, that's the halacha. Not even saying it's a chok. He's not even saying it's a chok you don't understand. He's saying that's, that's our moral code. You have to figure out how to put it all together. That's what a moral code is. That's one approach. It doesn't, not very. I don't think people like it so much, but that's, that's one approach. Okay? Do you want something you want to say? Uh, don't worry. Okay, so let's, let's, let's keep going. Take a look at Lichtenstein. Lichtenstein is something very different. Actually, before we see Lichtenstein, I want to show you one other thing. The Rambam in source number 18. The Rambam in source number 18. Says, "Ain osin Ram Hilchas Melachim Perak Vav. Ain osin Melchama Im Adam Ba'Olam." Sorry, source number eighteen. Yeah, Ain osin Melchama Im Adam Ba'Olam. I should Korin Lo Shalom. You can't make war with somebody until you call out to them and offer them a chance to surrender. If they if they say we'll take upon ourselves the shem noach and they say it's okay we're in then you don't touch you don't touch them um, if they say no then then you can kill them you can go attack them and he says. He says, Aval, look in the middle of the halacha dalit, right where it gets skinny. Aval shiva amimim va amalek, shaloi shlimu, emanichem hem neshama shenem ravachain tasa lachol, rak mi aria amlo tichon neshama, vechin or murra. He does say, Yeah, he says about Shiva Amin like Shalohi Shlimu, meaning if they don't agree, then you kill them all. But being the Ramas of the opinion that if you go to fight a Malik and a Malik says we surrender, we'll be we'll accept the Shavu Mitzvah Noach. What happens? You still kill them. You don't kill them. You don't, really? you don't kill them. That's the Ramas approach. Okay, that's a sheet of Rambam. That, that even a Malik, you can say you say to them. Accept Shev Mitzvah Noach, live with us, following God's will, not become Jewish, but live with Shev Mitzvah, you don't touch them. If they don't, then you kill them all. Okay, it's still not super moral, but it's a lot different than the Sefer Chinuch. Take a look at source number, let's take a look at source, sorry, a piece from a student, McGill student, source number 19, Okay. He quotes here an approach of Rabbi Helfgott, Rabbi Helfgott who lives over here by us, 
Rav Hefter wrote a book on the Parsha, on, the, on, on Tanakh, and he makes an argument based on this Rambam. Okay? He says as follows. Um, where it says national obligation. Rav Nadi proceeds to examine the relevant biblical passages on their own, and he shows that neither Exodus, Deuteronomy, Joshua, nor Judges require total annihilation of that Amalekite nation. Only the book of Samuel raises such an allegation. However, he quotes Yaakov Medan, who's a Rebbe in, uh, in uh, Shivat Haratzion, as arguing that this only describes the method of uncompromising warfare the Torah requires and not a command to kill civilians in non-military exercises. Apparently, according to the simple reading of the biblical text, there is no obligation to kill Amalekia babies other than as wartime collateral damage. Again, we don't like killing babies as wartime collateral damage either. I'm not saying this is a great answer, but it's, 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 it's interesting. Rav Nadi implies that the Sefer Achinoch's view contradicts the simple reading of the biblical text. While this alone cannot defeat a halachic position, it adds support to the Rambam's competing position that waging war with a Molech is solely a national obligation. Additionally, according to the Rambam, not only must we first reach out to the Amalekites and attempt to make peace, requiring that the Amalekites accept the seven Noahide laws, we accept any Amalekite who wishes to convert to Judaism. Right? There's actually a machlokas in the, in, the, in the Chazal about this. There's a Gemara that says that the sons of the, the sons of the grandchildren of Haman are learning in Yeshiva and Bnei Brak. Gemara says. That's how that happened. The answer is that they became Jewish. How can you accept an Amalekite to come to become a Jew if you're supposed to murder him? It's not possible. So Elamai, what do you have to say? That it's not a requirement to kill every single Am- Amalekite. Right? Uh, within this reading of the Bible and Halacha, the obligation to kill Amalekites is far from absolute. It does not apply to any individual Jew and allows for Amalekites to avoid death. Okay, so fine. Um, that, it's just an interesting point. Again, it doesn't solve the moral issue that exists anyways, but it's an interesting point. But one answer that I find a little better. Do you think it's just, these are attempts to make things less relevant? Uh, no, I'll tell you this. I'm not. I, I'm not here. To, I'll tell you this. I'm not here to apologize for the for the gzera sabore. Shalom makes a, makes right to halacha. I'm not here to apologize for his halacha. What I am here to do is to take a look at it and to say to ourselves, well, how, do, how do we as thinking, believing Jews handle for ourselves that seeming contradiction, right? The, the halacha is the halacha. Again, we have to know what the halacha is. So part of it is also educating ourselves. I think most people who hear, this, who hear about this, this, this rule think like the Sefer Achinoch. The truth is, the opinion of most Rishonim is like the Ramah. That's the more, the, more, uh, the more often taken approach in the Rishonim. I just think it's important to know. You just have to know what the, what the case is. When we're talking about a, an issue that we have to deal with, you have to know how severe the issue is. So I do think it makes it a little less severe, it's, but it's still, a moral, it's still a moral conundrum for us as believing Jews. It still is. So it's not going to take that away. I don't think anything we're going to say is going to take it away. The question not is, how do you take it away? How do you make it not exist? It does exist. The question is, what do we as believing Jews, what do we do with it? So Rav Lechitin has one, third, uh, one more approach. Do you think the Rambam is reflecting based on the time he lives where he knows the Gentiles are reading what we, what we say, what we write, and then trying to be a little more politically comfortable? I mean, you can say that about anything the Rambam writes if you're going to say that. So I, I, don't, I don't think so. I, I, there's no, there's, there, there are other times when we have alternate texts in the Rambam, ones that were changed and then brought back. This is not one of those cases where there are multiple, you know, multiple Gersos and things like that. So you know, I don't think you have to say that. Look at the Lechitin. Lechitin writes as follows. After the massacre of Sabra and Shatila, right, which is a famous massacre that took place uh, not by the command of Ariel Sharon, but through he allowed it to happen, whatever it was. So listen, he writes as follows. I published an open letter to the Prime Minister. Among other things, this letter dealt with the use of force and the motivation behind it. I asked, 
Why was it that King Shaul was punished for not killing Agag, king of Amalek? Was it simply for not having killed the last remaining Amalekite? I suggested that he was punished not just for sparing Agag, but because the fact that he refused to kill Agag placed in a totally different light his killing of all the other Amalekites beforehand. Okay? By letting him go, it reflected everything else. Shaul had been commanded to take a whole people and kill them, and this is morally a frightful thing. The only justification lies in it being a response to an unequivocal divine command. Therefore, if Shaul had been motivated in his actions purely by Yerashamayim, by obedience to the Tzav, then he should have followed the command to the letter. If it's because God said so, then you do what God said. God didn't say, kill Amalek but spare Agag. Now, if he didn't kill Agag, but kill everybody else, what does that indicate? It indicates that what motivated him in killing the others was not the Tzav of God, but rather some baser impulse, some instinctive violence. And the proof is that he killed everyone, but spared his peer, his royal comrade. If that is the case, then Shaul was not punished for sparing Agag. Rather, he had to be punished because of the Amalekites he did kill. Why? Because he killed them, not purely due to a divine command, but rather out of military, diplomatic, or political considerations. Okay? What's his point? It's like Casey Yeah. We have, we have a moral compass. The Imbaba Shalom has given us a moral compass. And, and by the way, there's discussion whether there's a moral compass that exists outside of the Torah. And it's a machlokas, whether we really believe such a thing. His point is, Revelation is saying that we do have a moral compass outside the Torah in a certain sense. But we're commanded certain things and we're commanded them. He says, but if you're commanded it, then you do it with a sense of discomfort. You do it because this is what God told me to do, and I just do it for that way. But if I do it only sort of, and I have Rahmanas on this one and that on that one, well, what, what happened to you? Then what are you doing? You're not doing it because God commanded it. You're doing it because you hated those ones, you're angry at those ones, you want to take out vengeance on them. That's, that doesn't come into play here. When we, when we go forward and fulfill this mitzvah, we don't do it as animals. We don't do it as, as people with base instincts. We do it because of Kosh Baruch Hu says. Would it have so, been worse had he saved the children and killed all the adults? Would that have been worse? Be, I don't know if it would have been worse. He'd say, listen, I'd it'd be the same, I'm, but I'm it'd prepared, be the same, I'm right. To be able but it'd be the same thing, because, but then, then he's not, but then you're not, not really, the but then he's, not, but he's I, not following the command, but then he's not really following the command. It's like I'm, I'm it's, know, it's, it's I'm deciding that I know, be- modern, modern, <laughs> I know better than God, but he's saying I know better than God. I can't do it. I really, really just Okay, that's different. I like, I understand. I can't do it is a, is a, is a different story. That's saying I'm, I'm not, I don't feel capable to fulfill the Tzavah Bore. Also, Paro was spared. And wasn't it, it was an, a special type of torture But he didn't have Paro. to kill, yeah, but he didn't have to kill. Was, there's no mitzvah no, no, there's, there's something about okay. leaving the leader to, to see the... Yes, but that's not the mitzvah. It's not the mitzvah. Check this out. Subsequently, I heard a leading religious Zionist rabbi in a prominent yeshiva had taken 30 minutes out of his Gemara year in order to attack what I had said. Mm-hmm. I called and asked him, what did I... No, Ratzvam was his... Was his yeah. But th- what did I say that merits this great wrath? He replied. I think it's a terrible thing to speak in this way, describing the divine command to destroy a Malik as asking a person to do something which is ordinarily is not moral. This poses an ethical problem, right? This is the Chazanish approach. Yeah. How can you say that God's not moral? I said to him, why being a Malik does not conform to what we would normally expect a person to do? Normally you should not be killing from child to suckling babe. But I'm not saying, God forbid, that it's immoral in our case, where God has specifically commanded the destruction of a Malik, a faithful God without iniquity, right, right, Right? Uh, although generally such an act would be considered immoral, it assumes a different character when God, from his perception and perspective, commands it. 
The same holds true of the Akedah. It demanded that Avram do something which normally is immoral, but in the context of the divine command, surely it partakes of the goodness and morality of God. You must admit, though, that there is a conflict in this case between the usual moral norm and the immediate sav given here. Very nuanced, right? Very nuanced. He said, yes, but you shouldn't describe it as being something which is not moral in a sense. So I asked him, do you agree that the tzav given here is something which we would not normally encourage people to do? Something that we would normally consider to be immoral? He said, yes, but it shouldn't be described that way. And he added, There's an educational difference. I admit there's something to this. The moment one speaks of a kind of clash between the demand of Yerat Shemayim and the demands of morality, even given the qualifications which I mentioned, there is some kind of problem. There are risks in this approach. Very honest. Classic. Right? This bothers me, he says. It doesn't fit with what we usually know, but it's a tzivoyabore. So when we do it, we do it because God said so. But we can still point out to ourselves that this doesn't really seem to fit. And what's his point, probably? Because we have to remind ourselves that this is not really who we are. This is not the type of people that we are. We don't want to be this type of person. God commands us in a specific scenario, so we do it because we're believing Jews. But it's important that we remember that's not who we are, which fits perfectly, by the way, with Cook writes. Cook writes in the last source. Cook says, a beautiful idea. He says as follows. Source number 20. Kach shaninu shabis. If a person wants to violate the, 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 the malacha of mochik, of erasing, so don't, when's the only time you're chayah from mochik? Mochik amanas lichtov. If you erase because you want to write something on top of it, right? If you just destroy, if you just erase without any intention of writing something on top of it, you're putter. Why? It's not mutter, but it's pure putter. Why? Because just kilchot, just destruction. He says, Mikan yesh lumor gilagabe mitzvahs bechikas amalek. Don't think we're just here to destroy. That just destroys. If you just knock things down and destroy them, that's just kilkul. That's not positive. The job of a was to destroy the name of Hashem in the world. With the, with the nation that Hashem makes a covenant. If we're going to talk about destroying a Malik, we're doing it on, on the, on the, only with the condition that we want to build. Point being, it's the same idea. Right? That if I, we talk about Mechiyas HaMalik, it's, like, it's, it's something that Karsh Baruch tells us to do. It's that we have to do it. So, is it... An, a, 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 an army does it. Does every individual have to do it? Do we do it only in times of Mashiach? Do, whatever it is. It's, gonna, it, it's something that has to be done, and it, and it shakes us. It doesn't make any sense to us. So how do we deal with that? I like Ravami Tassel approach, which is Hashem says it, Hashem said it. You can't say Hashem didn't say it. You can't say Hashem is... Even, even Ravami Tassel says... Uh, sorry, Ravitelstein uh, says, you can't say God is immoral. You, he doesn't want to say God's immoral, but it doesn't fit with the morality that God has taught us otherwise. And that's, a, and that's something we have, it's a conflict we have, to, we have to handle and we have to recognize. But it, what, what it really says to us, though, is that don't ever make the mistake, and this is why he said it in the context of that massacre, don't ever make the mistake of thinking that it's a license to do this in any other circumstance. Don't ever make the mistake of thinking that this is a model for other scenarios we learn from here to some, some other scenario. That's dangerous. That's not who we are. 
which, by the way, just as a last point, Rosalvechik writes, and I, I called it a fake, I put it inside if you want to read it later, that he believes that he said from his father that the Rambam writes, at one point, that Shiv'am are gone. He doesn't say Amalek is gone. So the Rav said it from his father, from Moshe, this is the idea you've probably heard a million times, that Amalek is not a people, Amalek is an ideology. And he says that the Nazis were Amalek and that the, Muslim, that, that the Mufti was Amalek. So some people got very upset, the Rav. So I said, if you say that, what does that mean? It means that you think that the Arabs are Amalek. Right? And, that could, and that could be very dangerous. Right? Where, do people, where, do, where, where do people take that? If you say such a thing, there are people who wrote letters after the Baruch Goldstein massacre. They, they, they wrote letters saying, you know, he must have, you know, he for sure read a call of fake. Um, and, you know, you have to be careful where you make that, those, those inferences when you start declaring something as a Malik, because otherwise, like Rolestin says, there's nothing to learn from. You don't learn from something else. What's to learn from is the fact that we submit at times to God. But, you know, like I said, there's no, uh, there's no answer to this question. You know, it's, it is, the answer is that it's what Hashem commands. Um, but how do we, it, it's more of a, a like a, a lesson in a case study, in a sense. And what are we to do when, when mitzvot seem to violate our moral compass? And the answer is that we never declare, this isn't, it must be a mistake, God must have not said it, etc. That's not going to be an approach that's going to work. God did say it, not for a believing Jew. But the, but the, the, you know, at least in this scenario, the answer is never allow that one case to lead me to believe that the rest of the morality of the Torah is any less because of it. But certainly more to talk about. Okay. Ich